Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Revolution Recap. The Revolution are coming off a spectacular 3-2 win over New York Red Bulls. The Revs fell behind twice in this game, but two late goals and a wonder goal from Gustavo Bo gave the Revolution three points in the night uh, in what some believe was the best game of the year for the New England Revolution. I'm Greg Johnstone. Joining me today is Sean Donahue. Sean, how's it going? Good. It's, it's incredible how well the Revs have done um, these, these past four or five games with Matt Turner and, and now Henry Kessler and Tejan Buchanan out. Uh, it's a very exciting time to be following the revolution. Yeah, all they do is win, 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 no matter what. Uh, certainly really, really good times down in Foxborough. Uh, also joining us today from the Bent Musket, Seth McComer is here. Seth, how's it going? Guys, so happy to be back. Uh, I, I felt like you guys were ignoring me a little bit, uh, but happy to be here uh, talking revs. I think you guys might be a little upset because I stole your, your post-game uh, spaces gig last night. Uh, but happy to be a part of the podcast. Uh, I, I would say at this point, the Bent Musket and Revolution Recap, I, I feel like we share uh, all of the uh, content somewhat. I think we stole the Twitter spaces from you guys because you guys did a pregame Twitter spaces. So uh, we have no problem lending that back to you uh, whatsoever. But uh, great to have you back on, Seth. Uh, it's, it has been a while since we've hit, had you back on. So we're a little bit overdue. Uh, and since we are overdue on having you on, we'll give you... Uh, first digs at this. What is your key takeaway from last night's win? Yeah, for me, I just think about how different this Revolution team is from years past. And I remember watching Revolution games and thinking about um, how is this team going to find a way to lose? They'd be up a goal, they'd be up two goals. Um, I think there was a really infamous game where where they ended up uh, tying uh, the Philadelphia Union 4-4. Um, and, and this team is now has a totally different mentality and as an interesting word to use, of course, because that was Brad Friedel's favorite word. And that mentality never got to the peak that Brad Friedel wanted it to be. But now this team, no matter what the situation is, you feel confident that they're going to walk away with a point, with three points. Um, there have only been, I believe, uh, two games where the revolution of one in a multi-goal fashion. They're winning by very small margins. Um, but you have that confidence that they're able to do that, that Carlos Heel is going to pull out some magic, that Gustavo Bo is going to pull out some magic, that, you know, Buxa is going to be that pesky guy and never give up and find that opportunity. Uh, it's just a totally different revolution team uh, than we've seen in the past. Like, we've seen some really poor starts to the game. We've seen games where they go up three goals and slowly start to have that lead dwindle away. But each time they end up walking away with a point or three points. Um, and that's that's really exciting because uh, you see the quality all throughout this team. I will say also there, there is a little bit of nervousness that comes along with that, especially if you think about the playoffs. Uh, after the game yesterday, I put out a, a, a poll on Twitter and says, if the Revs win the Supporters' Shield, and I know we're, we're obviously you know getting a little ahead of ourselves because we're only halfway through the season, but if they win the Supporters' Shield, is that good enough, or do you want to win the MLS Cup? And everyone basically says they want to win the MLS Cup. The majority said we want to win the MLS Cup. And when you get there, that's a one-game playoff each round. And when you're talking about margins where it's just one goal, 
you have to make sure that you're a little bit better. And I think what's encouraging, though, is that this team is all about that. Andrew Farrell saying that we're going to go back and watch the tape because this might have been one of our best wins of the season, but we could have lost this game. We have to get better. We have to clear things up. Teal Bunbury actually sounding kind of mad in the midweek um, press conference this week saying, yeah, it's great that we're at the top of the standings, but like we can do better. Like we, we need to clean up these mistakes. We need to, you know, figure out how we, we, we block some of the passing lanes, how we score some more of those opportunities. Uh, so I think that the, the revolution, they're happy to be at top of the, the supporter shield. Um, they're happy to be ahead of the uh, Seattle Sounders by four points, uh, but they know that there's still more work to be done if they truly want to hoist the, the, the trophy at the end of the year. So I think there's a lot of encouragement because they're fighting more for a supporter shield. They're winning more than they're losing by all means. Uh, but those, those margins are narrow and they have to make sure they clean up some of those things. Yeah. And it, you know, the, the problem with having Seth on the podcast is I feel like I agree with him 99% of the time. And, and, and this is certainly uh, one of his takes that I agree on, agree with him on. And, you know, I, I would actually, after the game tweeted out, you know, just a couple years ago, Brad Friedel was saying that a good chunk of this same roster you know, wasn't really capable of having a winning mentality. And now we see what this team is doing, um, you know, under Bruce Arena. And it's just incredible. Uh, you know, every game, no matter how much they're down, no matter what, what the, the time of the match is, you think they have a chance to come back. Uh, whereas in years past, you see the revolution go down two, two to one to, to Red Bull New York. You think this game's over. They're going to, you know, fold it in and, and that's it. Um, you know, they managed to come back twice in this game and ended up getting the three points. It really is uh, amazing to watch and to see them do that in a game like this when they're missing you know, Matt Turner, as they have been for several games, when they're missing John Buchanan, who's been such a key part of the offense. Um, you know, when they've changed formations to a diamond, uh, when Henry Kessler is gone and you know out with the Gold Cup as well and John Bell's injured. Um, you know, it wasn't their prettiest performance by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think it was close to their best. Uh, but at the end of the day, they they went on the road and got three points um, against a Red Bull New York team that admittedly is struggling this year, but it's still never an easy place to play. And a, a huge three points for the Revolution uh, when they weren't playing their best. And that even when saying they weren't playing their best, I still think they thoroughly deserve that win. Um, so it's, it is just a very different dynamic with the Revs team this year than it was, you know, two years ago uh, when it was a lot of the same players. Uh, but you didn't feel like they, you know, had the the mentality or the coaching. Uh, I would say more so to to find a way to come back in a game like this. Um, so it's a it's an exciting time to be watching this team, uh, and you really do have a feeling that they can go on and do something special this season because of of stuff like this. Because they were going and do, you know, what we had talked about being a very very difficult stretch for the Revolution, uh, missing Matt Turner, who's been so key for this team, missing Tejon Buchanan, who's been such a, a you know big part of this offense, uh, and now they're on a four game winning streak. And one more thing, too, I want to add is that, I mean, you felt like the Revolution deserved this win. This wasn't really a win like the New York City FC game where Matt Turner stood on his head. And the, the kind of key takeaway was, oh, boy, you know, if we didn't have Matt Turner, this would have been a loss. Uh, you know, I, I think Red Bulls came out and really controlled the first quarter of the game, I'll say. Um, but after that, when the, when they were up one nothing, it seemed like the revolution had full control and just the bounces weren't going that that way. Buxa had that amazing play uh, where he kind of juggled the ball. It was that Gustavo Bo kind of deflected shot that he kind of juggles, you know, and then heads heads it backwards. And then as he's falling backwards, shoots and hits the post. And then McNamara's follow up is, uh, you know, kind of stuffed. 
Um, Gustavo Bo had a goal, goal called back for offsides, which it was rightfully offsides, but a, a bit unlucky. Um, Teal Bomberi got stuffed on the doorstep. Uh, you know, they scored three times and there were still a number of other chances that they were creating and they are missing Buchanan. They're, they're missing one of the most valuable pieces on their team. So, yeah, it, it is pretty incredible and it speaks to the depth and the personality of this team that you are missing your star goalkeeper and a star winger and you're missing even though they've not been solid starters game in and game out you're still missing a very good center back in Henry Kessler and you're missing a central midfielder in Maciel who is not you know available for this game either um, so you're missing you know two surefire starters two star players and then two pretty big contributors, not necessarily starters game in and game out, but still contributors who, who really help out this team, you know, week in and week, week out. And you're still easily the best team in this game. You still, I don't want to say take easily take three points, but you still deserve three points and created a ton of chances and looked like the far superior side from the Red Bulls. So it, it really is a testament to Bruce Arena for building the depth and kind of building this winning culture. And you expect every single game for the Revolution, you expect them to win as long as Carlos Heel and Gustavo Bo are out there. Um, so anyway, with that being said, Sean, what's your key takeaway from this week? Well, yes, it's it's funny. You mentioned, um, you know, Matt Turner and the expectation with him being out that the Revolution might struggle in, in close games like this. I think this was actually a game where uh, if Matt Turner had been in there instead of Brad Knighton, you might have seen a, a three nothing win instead of a three two win. Not to you know be too harsh on Brad Knighton, but um, I think the Red Bulls expected goals, at least you know, towards the end of the game, were still less than one goal. I don't know if it finished that way, but it, it can't have been uh, much more than that. Um, but my my takeaway is, you know, because Seth kind of took what I what I was thinking um, is one that is a little bit more negative, And that's that the the revolution, I think, do still need some help at center back. Um, they did get the win in this one. A.J. De La Garza did a, you know, a decent job filling in. But, you know, what happened is what we thought would happen. And that's that, you know, he's an undersized um, center back. And when you're pairing him with Farrell, who's also, you know, under six feet, um, it, it's going to hurt the revolution. And I think it, it certainly on that second goal in this one hurt the revolution, um, uh, when he was kind of bodied by Fabio and then got the shot off. And, um, I think with another center back, they, the center back, you might've hoped would win that, win that ball, uh, and prevent that from happening. Um, and again, I think AJ De La Garza as a spot starter is, is okay. As a center back, I, I like him better as a you know spot starter, rotational guy at fullback. Um, but I do think, you know, with John Bell being out, I don't know the severity of that injury, um, with the inability for the revolution to, to have a, a lockdown partner next to Farrell with the, you know, going back and forth between John Bell and Henry Kessler, like we talked about before. And then, you know, seeing what AJ De La Garza has to offer. Um, I'm still left after this game thinking that, you know, if there is a weakness on this revolution side, it's, they have, you know, numbers at center back and that, you know, when Kessler goes down, there's John Bell and there's AJ De La Garza. Um, but I don't think there's just quite enough quality depth there. Um, you know, we haven't seen Verfurth. I don't know if we're going to see him. The fact that he's played so much with Revs too. Um, and then there's been situations where John Bell or Henry Kessler have been out and he hasn't even made the game day 18 or game day 20. Um, doesn't give me too much hope, but that's my one kind of, well, one negative from this game is that, you know, I, I'm still left with this stretch thinking that the revolution could use a little bit of help at center back. And that's somewhere um, that could really benefit the revolution if they are to, to make that championship run. And, and the, the one thing I want to add too is the the talk in this game from, I think it was Brad Feldman about De La Garza was comparing 
um, him to Michael Parkhurst. I feel like the Revolution broadcasters do that far too much. Uh, we've heard Henry Kessler be compared to Michael Parkhurst, and now we're hearing AJ De La Garza be compared to Michael Parkhurst. Michael Parkhurst was a very special talent on the Revolution and his ability to read the game, um, but also his ability to kind of step up and, and win balls. I think like that one that that Fabio won and kind of use his intelligence to, to get to that, even if he was maybe overmatched in strength and, and speed and power. Um, so I, I, again, I think AJ De La Garza is a you know, great backup, a good veteran guy to have on this roster. But I, 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 I did think when I heard that in the broadcast, that that was a stretch too far to try to compare him to Michael Parkhurst in the way he plays center back. Yeah. I think in a little bit, we're going to be talking about possible transfers that are going to happen. And I think that when you look at this roster, that's the glaring, absence that's something that's missing with this roster and that's kind of been missing for a little while now is uh another center back that can challenge for a starting role um andrew farrell has played every game right and we see the the battle between henry kessler and john bell um and i think that that is going to be won by henry kessler i'd like to see henry kessler going uh in that spot going forward uh when i watch kessler play you can just see that he's a natural center back uh he uses his body so well so when you even beat him he's able to get his body between the ball and the player and, and like see that ball out of bounds or or understand how to then get it to a pass to somebody else um you see that toughness there you see his ability to intercept the ball a little bit more I think John Bell is a, a really great talent. I think that he is someone with a lot of athleticism and amazing jumping ability, something that this team really does need from a center back. Um, and he's left-footed and, and can pass pretty well. Uh, not, not amazing, but pretty well. Uh, but that left-footedness obviously is a huge asset uh, for, for our left center back. Uh, but I think that you know Henry Kessler is the guy that you want in the second half of the season for him to be playing a majority of games. Uh, Andrew Farrell, I think there's ups and downs with Andrew Farrell. Uh, I, I like him. I think the last two games he's been excellent. Um, this back line, one of the big thing issues that it has is that when a team plays a direct ball forward, you find that there's a center back usually one-on-one -on -one with an attacker. Uh, we saw John Bell make a mistake in, in certain scenarios. Uh, we saw that Andrew Farrell makes a mistake in certain scenarios. And last week I actually noticed that at least twice – um, there were times where Andrew Farrell had to defend 1v1 in space, and that's very difficult, and he cleaned up both of those mistakes. So those are mistakes earlier during that run where the, the Revs were constantly conceding two or more goals. Those were mistakes that were happening that were leading to goals, and now he was able to clean those up. So I thought that um, Andrew Farrell had a few games where he was a little bit shakier, uh, but the last two games, including the one on Saturday, he's looked pretty solid in my opinion. I think that there are still situations where he and other defenders have to close down on um, the attackers quicker. Uh, I think in the first goal, I mean, you know, you took your cap and H Andrew Farrell said it after the game, amazing shot. But you also wonder, like, can someone put a little bit more pressure on that individual? I believe it was um, Polster who got turned that eventually led to the shot. So like, can, can we get a body in front of that person a little bit quicker um, to, to make sure that they are not able to get a shot off? And I think if you also think about the direct ball, that's the same type of idea because the revolution like to put uh, so many people forward, get their outside backs forward. Um, you have to be weary of that direct ball. So if you can put a little bit uh, of pressure and, and make sure that they're nobody, not able to get that direct ball off, uh, you're going to have a little bit more success and not put those defenders in those 1v1 situations. Uh, but yeah, I, I definitely agree with what Sean says that like when you look at this roster, there's competition all throughout the field. I mean, I think we're going to talk about later on, what are you going to do when Tejan Buchanan comes back? Um, the one place where there really, in my opinion, not isn't much competition is at center back. Like center back for me 
is Andrew Farrell and Henry Kessler. Um, maybe you John Bell every now and then, but those are your starting back uh, pairing all throughout. If you get a little bit more competition, um, maybe you find a different pairing that works a little bit better, uh, or at the very least, you you kind of clean things up and you try to get everyone a little bit sharper as you head towards the playoffs. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you just said there, Seth. And I just want to talk about Andrew Farrell, uh, his stats yesterday, because I thought he had a very, very strong game yesterday. 74% pass accuracy, not his best. Uh, everyone on the back line really struggled with pass accuracy because of that presser in the game. But we'll get that in a little bit. But other than that, 7 for 7 on duels won. He didn't lose a duel this game. He had 13 clearances. Uh, two for four on tackles, two interceptions, eight recoveries. So Andrew Farrell had a really, really good day, and that was a game he needed to step up at because, as Sean, you mentioned, you know, A.J. De La Garza, I don't want to talk too poorly about him, but he is what he is. He's a depth player, uh, and he's really an outside back. I, I don't really consider him much of a center back. I, I'd rather him not be – he's kind of an emergency option, in my opinion, at center back. Um, and this was a game that, you know, you had two center backs that are under six feet, De La Garza is 5'9", I believe Farrell is 5'11", and Farrell really stepped up and kind of covered the deficiencies in this back line. Um, they did concede twice, but that first goal, I, I don't think you can really put too much blame on them. Uh, the second goal was a bit of a weird play that De La Garza kind of gets tripped up in, and it's almost better that the, the player kind of scuffed his shot. Um, I forget who scored the second goal. I don't know. If, was it Clark on the second goal? I'm trying to remember this now. Uh, but... He scuffs the shot. on the second. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he scuffs the shot, and it kind of trickles in. Um, yeah, I mean, so I, the, the defense I don't think was completely poor, but with that being said, going up against a bad team in the playoffs, I don't want to see the center back pairing. And I don't know what the best center back pairing is right now because I don't. you're not going to get performances like this from Andrew Farrell every single game, game in and game out. I think the one real knock on him is he is a little bit inconsistent and he's played all season long. So, you know, if Andrew Farrell goes down, I don't know what this team is going to do. I, I really have no clue what happens if Andrew Farrell – gets hurt or if Henry Kessler gets hurt um, because then you're, you know, you're, you just don't have any depth at center back. So I don't know if they're going to go out and acquire a starter, a lockdown center back, uh, or if it's going to be a depth piece that kind of rotates in and out with Farrell or whoever is being paired with Farrell. Uh, but if this window closes and it's closing on Thursday um, without a new center back, I, I think that's a really big concern. I, I still would like another a central midfielder and uh, a, a center back, but I, I, at the very least, I think we need a center back. Yeah, it, it, it just really quickly. One, one thing too, when when you talk about the, you know, the height of the uh, Dale Garza and Farrell, the two of them combined for one aerial duel, one the entire match, which is very low for center back. I think the the two Red Bulls forwards had five. Um, so for the two center backs to just have one is is worrying. Um, and the, you know, the other point that Seth made about Farrell playing every single minute this game, I mean, every single minute of the season, starting every game, uh, that's, that's worrying too. And we've seen Bruce arena, you know, rotate pretty much everybody in the lineup, except Carlos heel and Andrew Farrell and Carlos heel is a amazing talent, you know, MVP of the league. Andrew Farrell has done a very good job, but you know, when you look at the revs need Carlos heel to win, you'd think that they would be able to have somebody that's not too much of a drop off from Andrew Farrell where Bruce Arena would say, hey, this is actually one of the older guys in this roster at 29. Um, you know, maybe we should find someone that can rotate in for him. And the fact that he hasn't done that all season, um, I think kind of tells you what Bruce Arena thinks about his center back options. Yeah. And, and Bruce has said he isn't opposed to playing Bell and Kessler, but he hasn't done it yet until he does it. And until we see what it's like, it's a concern. So I, I, I hope we see Farrell rotated 
out at some point just to give him a rest. I know the schedule is going to be congested over the next few weeks. So, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Every single minute of this season, I mean, he's certainly been an Iron Man. You certainly got to tip your cap to him. Um, and he, he hasn't been horrible. I know a lot. Of, some some fans are not huge Andrew Frell guys, but he's had a pretty solid season all the way around. And and he's you know, ate up a lot of minutes for a position that's not necessarily very deep. So I, I think you have to credit Andrew Farrell um, for turning in performances like these, even though he's probably probably really tired at this point. So um, I did allude to it. The transfer window closes on Thursday, I believe. Uh, Seth, I'll, I'll go to you first. I know we had a signing hinted by Bruce two weeks ago, but it's been real quiet ever since then. Uh, do you think we have a signing this week, Seth? Yeah, I thought that was interesting because uh, Bruce Arena is a planner. Uh, we've seen that quite a bit where he, he's already trying to scope things out. He's, he has you know lists of people that he's trying to negotiate with. And as a result, you sometimes see moves happen fairly quickly in, in a transfer window. Um, that said, I, I do think someone is brought in. I think Bruce Arena is here to win. I've mentioned it a few times now that what a perfect way to, to kind of wind down your career uh, to win a trophy for a, a team that's never won it. You know, like that's a lot of people look at Bruce Arena and they have negative thoughts of him because of his last tenure with the U.S. men's national team. Um, and for him to, to, you know, I believe he's 69 years old, for him to come to New England, a team that doesn't get a lot of attention, that has lost multiple MLS Cups, and basically redo this entire franchise and to win a, tr- a championship, I think that that's proof that he is one of the best American coaches of all time. And I don't think he necessarily needs to do that. I think a lot of people will look at him and and his time at DC, his time with the national team, the first time around uh, his time in the galaxy and say, yeah, he, he can do it. He's a great coach. We'll remember him for that. But for him to have that last final trophy in new England, I think it would be an amazing way to kind of end your career. And I'm not saying he's going to end it immediately retire, but you got to imagine that Bruce arena, um, might want to take a different role as he gets a little bit older. So with that in mind, if this is a year to win a championship, and I think that you could win a championship this year, why not bring in a little bit more depth? He said at the beginning of the season that they have the the capacity to make moves if they believe that it is right. And he said multiple times that, um, you know, they're going to bring in a player if they think it's right, if they think it's going to help the team, um, that they are eyeing some individuals. So I, I, I would like to see a, a center back come in. Um, whether that's a guy who's definitely a starter or just a, another depth option, uh, maybe a veteran presence that can play instead of Farrell. Because uh, I think one of the reasons why Farrell has played so many minutes is because he is the veteran option. Uh, he gets along really well with uh, Matt Turner. He knows Brad Knighton well. Um, he's going to coach the back line. Because e- even beyond the the other center back, you have Brandon By who who is – getting more minutes, of course, and you have Dewan Jones, who is getting more minutes, but those aren't necessarily grizzled veterans in this league. So you want a little bit of experience back there to be that vocal presence uh, along the back line. So I'd like to see that. Um, I think that the the, the center midfielder uh, situation, um, maybe you see something there. Uh, I, I'm personally, uh, Polster is definitely a, a starter for me. I think Massiel is probably the other starter if you're going with a, a 4-2-3-1. If you're going with the diamond, uh, then you, your options kind of shift around a little bit more. Maybe we can talk about that later. Uh, another position I think that they might consider is bringing in a, a left winger who plays as a left, left winger. Um, and what I mean by that is that if you look at Tejon Buchanan, he likes to get wide and take people on. 
Uh, we see that with Canada. We see that with uh, this team on the right-hand side. On the left-hand side, they really don't have that. Uh, you have Arnar Tristesen, and I think most of us would say that he's been underwhelming uh, during his, his first few games with the Revolution. But since they switched to the Diamond, he's looked better. Uh, and I put out an article after the Montreal game, and his stats were, were really impressive in that situation. He, was, um, he had two goals against Miami, 49 touches, which are fourth on the team. He had four tackles, first on the team, 97 uh, passing per- uh, percentage accuracy, second on the team. Uh, his numbers, the, the, the next game against Montreal, not quite as good. He only did play uh, 63 minutes. Uh, but he did collect an assist. He had two shots, neither of which were on target. His tackles were three, which was tied for first. Uh, 87% passing accuracy. So he's looked good. I didn't think he looked as good on Saturday. Uh, I think he struggled a little bit. But that was a different type of game because of the fouling, because of the press. That said, he did have that really key pass that got the ball to Dewan Jones. So I think when you play him a little bit more centrally, um, his game works a little bit more. But if you want to play a little bit more expansive and you want to get those outside mids uh, wider, maybe I don't know if they really have an option that can do that. Uh, so maybe the, the Bruce Arena decides to bring in an out-and-out winger uh, so that he has a little bit more flexibility in what his roster looks like and make that attack a little bit more dangerous. I don't necessarily think he goes that way. I think it's more important to get a center back at this point. Um, but I, it wouldn't surprise me if they got a, a left winger um, that can be that guy. Although you could say that Boateng could be that guy, but we haven't seen a lot of him. Yeah, we've only seen that one appearance from him, uh, which was a good appearance, but for whatever reason does not appear to be in the Bruce Arena trust tree right now. Um, and before I kick it over to Sean, I just want to say it's a bit of an indictment for the, the signings from last offseason that the areas you just identified, Seth, are really the areas that I think they needed improvement going into the offseason last year. Center back, uh, center mid, and, and left wing. Uh, and they've made some decent signings. I don't want to say that every signing that they made was a bad one uh, or a bust, but I think we expected a lot more from Captoom. Uh, you know, Tristison, I think we expect to fill that left wing role, but he, he does slide into the central midfield pretty decently, as, as you said. I, I think he's improved a lot playing uh, more centrally. And I think he said so in a press conference. He said he, he prefers and he's a little more comfortable in the center of the field. Um, so yeah, it, it's a bit interesting that we're kind of coming to the end of the second transfer window and we still have those areas of need, not necessarily that those are weaknesses. I, I don't know if there are many weaknesses on this team, but just areas of improvement are, are kind of similar to the areas of improvement we identified last year. So, uh, Sean, what do you think about all of what, uh, Seth and I just talked about? Uh, and do you think a move is made this week before the window closes? No, honestly, I'm in complete agreement with everything both of you just said. Uh, couldn't have said it better myself. The only thing I wanted to add to that is, you know, I, I think they do need to go out there and sign somebody um, this offseason. I think it's a center back. But just kind of taking a historical perspective of the revolution, when you look at the five MLS Cups they've been to and lost, and I'm sure people don't want to look at those, um, you, you know, I see it as kind of distinct scenarios and that was the 2002 scenario where the revolution you know the expectations they started the season poorly they made a bunch of moves they made a great run to the mls cup you know the expectation they were were at home so people wanted them to win but you know they weren't the favorite and then you know 2014 similar situation they were playing pretty well actually at the beginning of the season but then they brought in jermaine jones and kind of brought him up a notch to mid-season to kind of take them to that mls cup so those were teams that mid-season acquisitions put them in a position to make mls cup where they weren't necessarily the favorite and then you have the the 2005 to 2007 revs where they made the mls cup three straight years they were one of the most talented rosters in the league and there were high expectations for them and i think every year you know they lost the mls cup and revs fans were left feeling you know there was one or two 
key areas that they could have improved upon. They could have made a midseason signing to put this team over the top. <laughs> that was often left wing was off in that area, which, you know, Seth brings up, could, you know, could be an area this year, too. Um, frequently it was that area. And, and two, it was also, you know, when the Revolution did play a four-man back line instead of the three-man back line they often played back then, you know, you didn't necessarily have the best partner for Michael Parkhurst as a, you know, a two-man center back pairing. And I, and I do think that each of those three years, you can kind of go to the end of the season and say, you know, if the Revs had just made one more signing, um, they could have won that MLS Cup and they probably would have. And I don't think you want to be left feeling at the end of this season, where, which I consider more along those seasons as, you know, the Revolution are number one in the league right now, Supporter Shield favorites, according to 538. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think you want to be left in a situation where it comes to MLS Cup, the Revs lose and you say, hey, you know, if the Revs had signed a center back to provide a bit more depth, you know, if somebody gets injured in the playoffs or if the revolution had given themselves another option on the wings, something like that. I don't think you want to be left in that situation. And I don't think Bruce Arena wants to be in that situation. I, I expect there to be at least one signing before the window closes. And and if it doesn't, you know, the revolution still have a very good roster, but I do think that's a disappointment because I, I, I do think as good as the rest have been, there are still areas that can be improved and, and Seth did a good job of highlighting those. Greg, I want to jump in and just, uh, I'm going to derail this a little bit and kind of bring up something that's been on my mind recently. Uh, I think one thing, if you look at Bruce Arena, that you could be a little bit critical of is some of those transfers that he he's made and how they fit in with the team. Um, that said, I think it's been a difficult situation for him because of the pandemic. Um, you know, Mafla, I haven't really been impressed by him. Uh, I think Dewan Jones is the left back going forward. And, and the big reason why I haven't been impressed is that um, he, he fouls a lot. I mean, he, he is someone who uh, is, is having a hard time defending um, in MLS. And then as a result, he's resorting to fouls. I believe in the game that he played 90 minutes, he had four fouls. In my opinion, that's, that's a little high for a left back. Um, you know, Tristison has been hot and cold. I'm willing to give him more time because, uh, you know, Buxa came in. He was struggling, but we, we've seen him improve recently. So Tristison, we'll see how that works out. Um, I think Captoon is someone that we've kind of forgotten a little bit about, and he's someone on high salary. Um, I think he's had some decent moments, but he struggled with injuries. He hasn't necessarily been sharp all the time. So I think that that's one thing you could be a little bit critical with, with Bruce Arena is that um, – and then, of course, center back, um, there's been some issues with, like, bringing in some some people there. Maybe there's not enough depth there. Uh, but the, re- the thing I really want to talk about is that, like, Bruce Arena has done a really good job of coaching up the players that Brad Friedel had. You know, you look at Jones getting better, uh, by getting better, Tejon getting better, um, you know, Heel looking really comfortable in this formation. So huge kudos to him for coaching up those individuals. And some people have now, you know, made it a, a common thing to talk about how these guys were all Brad Friedel guys, including Matt Turner. And I think it's okay to, to give him some credit um, especially, you know, for, for giving Matt Turner that opportunity and for getting Carlos Heel. But I don't think it's fair to give him too much credit for those individuals. Um, if you look at the, the guys he drafted, he largely drafted the most athletic options there. Brandon Bay and Dewan Jones were very high in terms of speed and agility at the combine. Uh, Tejon Buchanan was a known product, which again, very speedy individual. Um, when you go back and look at the quotes, he does mention his his one-on-one uh, ability, his ability with his footwork, where Jones and by he doesn't quite mention that as much. It's more about the versatility and the speed. So I think that like he just went with the best options. He was saying that these guys are they're, they're versatile, they're 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 fast. I can fit them into my system. They're gonna work really hard. Um, and they didn't really develop as much under Brad Friedel. And at one point, 
we were all talking about how Tejon Buchanan was destined for Revs too, and we weren't really sure if he was going to be someone that was going to you know make it in MLS. And then Bruce Arena comes and, and makes him better with uh, Matt Turner. Um, yes, he gives him a start, and Matt Turner has come out in, in, in interviews and said that like I think I was doing well, um, but I think that you know Jay Heaps had his guy. You know Jay, Jay Heaps had Bobby Shuttleworth um, as his primary guy, so it was going to be hard to break through. Uh, at that time. So the other thing to think about with Matt Turner though, is that they, um, the heaps era, they signed him and then they loaned him out to Richmond. And I think those games in Richmond were really influential to get Turner the confidence so that when he stepped in, he was ready to perform. Um, so they obviously developed him as well. They didn't give him the opportunity, but they developed him. So I think that, you know, it's kind of murky about who should get the most, um, credit for, for Matt Turner. And let's not forget that, in year two under Brad Friedel, he benched Matt Turner um, going with both Cropper and Knighton for a time over Matt Turner. I mean, that's pretty crazy to think about that. He went from a legit guy to, to not even making the game day 18 for a while uh, under Brad Friedel. Uh, I think Carlos Hill, I, I'm willing to give him credit, although I think it's important to remember that he was the second choice for, for Brad Friedel, that Brad Friedel had, had um I had other players before uh, Carlos Heel, but I'm definitely willing to 100% get, like everyone's going to have like a list of players and they're, they're not always going to get their top choice. He obviously recognized the the skill in Carlos Heel. So I, I just want to throw that out there um, that, you know, yes, some of these guys were were there during the Brown Friedel era, but I'm not willing to give him a ton of credit because he didn't necessarily develop them. He didn't necessarily play them in the right spots. Um, and then you look at other signings that, that he made, you know, Mushado, uh, you know, Jay Casado, Hache um, Somi, Hache Somi. Like those, there's a lot of failures there. So I, I just think that we have to remember the whole picture for Brad Friedel, and and we have to remember that he wasn't necessarily this genius who was able to find these these uh, players and bring them in, um, and just couldn't develop them. He was also making some mistakes, and he was also uh, failing to develop them. Uh, so I know that kind of derails things, but I wanted to bring that up because it's something that I've seen a lot on the hashtag recently, not only from fans, but I think Sam Stachel also brought it up. Uh, and I think it's something that is a little bit revisionist history. Um, oh, oh, with this oh team. I, I'm going to take this over and, and I want to rail against this really just poor narrative of Brad Friedel deserves credit for what's happening right now. It, it's an ab- I mean, it is revisionist history and I understand time heals all wounds, but the time, you know, Brad Friedel was here for a year and a half and all right, Carlos heel, he gets full marks for that's, that is an incredible thing. And I think Brad Friedel deserves as much credit in the world for getting Carlos heel when he's in the second division in Spain and bringing him and, and now he's the be- one of the best players in MLS. That was a great call by him. And I think he deserves a lot of credit. Matt Turner, you know, was brought in in the heaps era and, you know, Jay Heap says on the said on this podcast, when we interviewed him that he would have started Matt Turner, but uh, towards the end of his tenure, but they were on a losing streak and he didn't feel it was fair. Whether or not you believe that or not, whatever, uh, you know, uh, he, he did deserve, you know, it, it's well documented that Matt Turner needed development uh, and he was very raw. He, you know, he went in for a workout for the Philadelphia Union, and apparently the coaches and GMs and hi- the higher ups there didn't even look at him. He was, he never even made it onto the the, you know, main field. He was kind of on the side pitch as a, a post college tryout, and didn't even make it to the final rounds or, or whatever. So, you know, he was very raw, and and you know, he needed time to develop. And so, if you want to give Brad Friedel credit for starting him, uh, and and just you know, 
fine. Okay. Well, Bradford also benched him at the end of year one. And if you read the athletic article uh, that came out about Matt Turner a couple weeks ago, uh, Mike Burns and Bradfield tried signing Matt Turner to a contract extension after being benched uh, going into Matt Turner's fourth and final contract year. And Matt Turner felt there were low ball offers and he declined them. And, uh, you know, you'll remember after Bradfield was fired, Bruce Arena signed him to a contract extension. And then Matt Turner got his Lithuanian passport shortly after that. So, you know, I, I don't think that timing is coincidental. If Brad Friedel finishes the, that year as coach and Matt Turner, you know, is in and out and rotated as a keeper and doesn't start and, and regain his form once Bruce Arena takes over, does he leave as a free agent in the offseason? I, I mean, he would have been free to go. He was out of contract. You know, I, I mean, I think that's a very good possibility that Brad Friedel and Mike Burns wouldn't have been able to re-sign Matt Turner after benching him and, and trying to lowball him at the beginning of the season. So I think that's something you got to keep in mind with. Uh, and then in terms of Tejan Buchanan, everyone gives Brad Friedel credit for that. I'm not sure. I, I missed the article about how Brad Friedel and Mike Burns had huge arguments over who to draft. Uh, and Brad Friedel convinced the GM to take uh, Tejan Buchanan. I mean, Mike Burns, that, you're crediting Mike Burns with that pick. He's the general manager. He's he's in charge of player personnel and all that. And, you know, certainly Friedel had, you know, impact on the, the, the pick there. But if you're talking about Brad Friedel, when we're coming, when we're talking about super draft picks, you're also talking about Mike Burns. You're also talking about Remy Roy, who was also involved in the Turner signing. So when you're giving credit for Matt Turner and Tejan Buchanan, you're also giving credit for at least equal credit to Mike Burns and Remy Roy. It's not, Brad Friel didn't find Tejan Buchanan. He didn't, you know, th that, that isn't what happened. They, they picked, they select the most athletic player ninth, uh, Tejan Buchanan, who should have gone earlier in the draft. Matt Doyle had him going number one. He fell to number nine. You know, I, I, I sure Friedel gets a little bit of credit, but I, there is a kind of a weird narrative that Bruce arena is kind of riding Brad Friedel's coattails. And I'm not really sure why Brad Friedel has been gone for two years and this roster is completely turned around. Um, and I, I get people were brought in during the Brad Friedel years, but they're very far off from where they were when, when Friedel brought them in. So, yeah, I, I'm not a big fan of this narrative. And, you know, I, I certainly think Friedel deserves a ton of credit for Carlos Hill. But giving, giving Brad Friedel credit for Matt Turner, uh, big, big time stretch, in my opinion. I couldn't agree more with, <laughs> with all of that. It, it's, it, it, wait, wait. I just want to one more thing, too. <laughs> I, just really dumb. One of the dumbest uh, uh, hashtag. I, I don't know why, what. Why are we romanticizing Brad Friedel? I, I what the hell? I, I don't understand. I mean, it, it, you're just no context whatsoever. It's like, well, some people, whoever came in during the Brad Friedel era, oh, all the credit in the world. Also, Matt Turner, who was pre-Brad Friedel, we got to give him credit for. Like, I don't know what what. I I, I feel like I'm going crazy here. I, I don't feel it's like people forgot how terrible this team was two years ago. Anyway, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off, Sean. I'm just, I, I, this is a dumb. This is a dumb narrative. I'm, I'm over. No, I'm, I'm completely with you. I feel exactly the same way. And and you, you look at the Tejan pick, for example, and he, you know, he was one of the last generation Adidas guys on the board. So like, of course, at number nine, it's not a stretch or that, to imagine that anyone was picking him there. Um, so I don't think that's shocking. And and he didn't get that much of a chance under Brad Friedel to develop. And I think Dewan Jones, you know, if if Brad Friedel had done a better job of, of, of building the roster. If Gabriel Somi wasn't terrible, um, Dewan Jones probably wouldn't have gotten the minutes he got at left back. 
Um, so, you know, I, I hate to go through pick by pick and, and say why Brad Friedel doesn't deserve credit. Um, but I also hate this revisionist history um, where, A, you're putting everything on Brad Friedel. Uh, you know, Bruce Arena right now is the you know, technical director and coach or GM and coach. Mike Brad Friedel had a GM. Mike Burns was there. You know, Mike Burns was always involved in the Revolution's drafting. Uh, they had a Remy Rory, a scout, a scout there. And if you want to, you know, where, where you can absolutely you know, credit or discredit Brad Friedel is on his coaching. And he was unable to get the best out of just about any of these guys. And you can see that now because of how well they're performing under Bruce Arena. Even Carlay's heel, as good as he was under Brad Friedel, he's gone to a different level under Bruce Arena because Bruce Arena found a way to have a system. And, you know, to Bruce Arena's discredit, it took him a little bit of it took him a little bit of time to do it because he was trying to play him, you know, on the right wing. And I, I don't think that was his best position. But eventually he realized that you got to put him in the center and, and build a system around him that um, allows him to play to his full potential. And, and Brad Friedel, uh, you know, he looked good under Brad Friedel because he's a super talented player. But, you know, everybody across the board, um, with the exception of maybe Diego Fagundes, who's who's now gone, you know, has looked better under Bruce Arena than did under Brad Friedel. Well, one more thing before we move on, and I don't know if Seth has anything to add here, but I just want to say the the line, Brad Friedel was a good GM, makes no sense. Really what you're saying is Mike Burns was a good GM during the Brad Friedel era. Right. We don't know how Brad Friedel was as a GM because if you listen to Brad Friedel speak in any interview post-Revs, post his Revs tenure, whether it's with The Athletic, whether it's with Seth, who had a good article about uh, Brad Friedel, Brad Friedel was frustrated that he wasn't he didn't have more control over the roster. He was really mad. He couldn't boot out the people that he, he he wanted more roster turnover. So we have no idea what the roster would look like if Brad Friedel was fully calling the shots. So uh, just the Brad Friedel was a good GM line is not a doesn't make any sense. It's a, that that's really a Mike Burns was good during the Brad Friedel era. And I think when you put it in those terms, I think a lot of people were like, oh well, I'm not going to say that out loud. So um, yeah, no, I, I I'm over the Brad Friedel stuff. Seth, did uh, you've you've successfully derailed this podcast? Do you have anything you want to add? And now you've angered me and brought up this terrible, terrible narrative that people are tweeting. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally apologize for it, but I just had the opportunity to to talk to you guys about it, and I wanted to get it off my chest in a in a way that's out there for people to also listen. Because I just I I mean, you, hopefully you guys read my article on the Ben Musket. I talked to you know three anonymous sources who just talked about how this individual. One person said he carried himself like a god, and he felt like that he was untouchable, and you know it was difficult to talk to him. And and uh, I don't think it's fair to to go back and say, well, look at all the things that he did for the revolution. I, I think that those are a lot of those are decisions that most people would make. Um, I, I think that most people said. I mean, I was just listening to the Far Post podcast, and Brad Knighton said that they realized in year two or three how good Matt Turner was. Like it took him a little while to settle in and to, to start learning the ropes and start working on some of his weaknesses, but they realized how good he was. And, and like you said, it's, it's going to be very difficult for Jay heaps to say, Hey, you, this guy who has basically no experience and, and who's only played in Richmond. and was once, you know, the, the not top 10 jump in net and save my season, you know, like he, save, his job. Save, yeah, his, save job. his job. So, so I think that most new coaches coming in probably would have given Matt Turner a, a potential uh, opportunity there. Um, so I think I, I kind of put this in this idea of we got to give kudos to, to um, Bruce Arena for figuring out the right system, for getting these guys in the right positions, to motivating them, to developing them. Um, and even though some of the guys he brought in haven't exactly worked out the best, um, he he is 
putting together a winning team, you know, like, yeah, Bruce Arena brought in Bootner and, and he brought in uh, Mafla and they're not getting a lot of minutes, but that's going to happen sometimes with transfers. You're not going to always hit with transfers. So uh, I think that my, my connection there was that Bruce Arena hasn't been 100% on his transfers, but you kind of expect that. But what Bruce Arena has done is get the best out of the roster that was already there. And it's not fair to say that we should praise uh, Brad Friedel for making that roster. Um, he 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 did what most people would have done. And like you guys said, he had other people advising him. And it took a good coach to make those players legit stars. And now you're looking at Matt Turner, and he's going to potentially be transferred. Uh, Tejon Buchanan is a better example of this because, again, a lot of us were saying, uh, Greg, I believe at one point you said, stop putting Tejon Buchanan into the games. Um, and now look at how much money. <laughs> hey, I don't want to bring out, I don't want to bring out at first revs. I don't want him to come at you and tweet at you later on. Uh, but I think we were all there. I think we're all like, what's the big deal here? Um, we saw that he had talent. We saw he was good on the ball. He just wasn't sharp enough. But now that he's in systems that make that play to his ability, he's able to use those skills uh, in a very positive way. So that, that comes down to, to Bruce Arena. So kudos to him for getting the opportunities, uh, even if all of his transfers haven't worked out. Yeah, and – you know, another thing, too, if we want to talk about Brad Friedel, the GM, is his designated player who was supposed to come in before uh, Bruce Arena took over uh, was uh, uh, Mapoku there, um, uh, Paul Jose Mapoku. Um, he ended up leaving uh, uh, his team in Belgium, and he ended up, he's played the last year in UAE. Uh, he was let go on a free transfer. So you got to think, would you rather have Gustavo Bo, who Bruce Arena brought in, uh, or would you rather have uh, Mapoku, uh, who's kind of fizzled out? Because uh, that was really, you know, Frito was going to take the money that was spent on Bo and, and spend it on Poku. So I think there's, you know, I, I don't want to dump on Brad Friedel too, too much because he did make some really good moves. And I think at the time he was fired, he deserved more credit than what he had gotten um, as, as a roster management. You know, I, I, I do think you can say like, yeah, hey, he deserves some credit here. Uh, and he, he was better than what people thought, you know, retroactively. But um, Bruce Arena has really come in and, and done a ton. And, and you're right, a year ago, yeah, I, I didn't think Tejon Buchanan was anything special. I thought he needed a lot more development. Uh, and then he kind of took off at the end of last season, and he's really turned into a game changer. So, uh, you know, all, all the credit in the world to Bruce Arena to, to getting the most out of his players. Um, reeling this back in, getting this back to the current transfer window, I just want to add a couple of points here, which is that, um, you know, a lot of people are criticizing the moves he made in the offseason. You know, the one positive thing is that none of those players were TAM signings. You know, they lost Alexander Butner, who was on a TAM contract. A lot of people don't remember that he was on a TAM contract. Um, uh, and they brought in Mofla, who's cheaper. And so I think they were trying to make a like-for-like kind of a cheaper move there. Hasn't really worked out that much with Mofla's injuries and all that. Um, and then Captoom, I think, is a real big disappointment because he's on the biggest salary. But again, not a TAM player. So they have some money to play with. They should be able to go out and get a few players here uh, in, in this window. Uh, they don't have any international spots. They can acquire an international spot from another team if they want to spend some TAM and go get one. So that shouldn't be a hurdle. The other thing, too, the Revolution have uh, that not a lot of people have talked about is they have their one slot for the U22 initiative, uh, which I believe it's still a new rule. It's new as of this year, but I believe... The rule is that they can spend an unlimited amount of transfer money on a player who is 22 or younger. Uh, but as long as they meet certain salary requirements, I think there's some salary cap relief on that as well. So if they are targeting a young player, I know Atlanta and Orlando are looking to bring in some South American young players uh, and take advantage of that rule right off the bat. Maybe something big like that is being lined up by the Revs. I, I, I wouldn't bank on that. I think they might make a smaller, small medium move for a center back and maybe a central midfielder uh, and save that U22 slot for 
maybe the offseason when they are able to go scout internationally a little bit more, uh, when they have a little bit more time to, uh, you know, focus a little more on those areas. I, I think that might be where they end up using it. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't see them not making a move this week. And if they do, uh, we, we have some questions to ask because, you know, as you said, Seth, Bruce Arena is not someone who is sitting around and waiting for long-term development. I mean, this is this is the time to go for it right now. Uh, so anyway, before I, I, I still have a key takeaway to go into. And before I get into that, I just want to take a minute and thank our sponsor, Galasso Kits. Galasso Kits' mission is to bring unique vintage jerseys to your home with a catalog of jerseys, jackets, scarves, and more from, uh, from clubs and national teams from over 80 countries in the world. The passion for the beautiful game doesn't have borders, and neither does selection with every corner of the planet represented. Uh, go to GalassoKits.com for their full selection, and make sure you follow them at GalassoKits on Twitter, uh, and follow them on Instagram for updates on their new inventory. They post new uh, merch every single week, so make sure you give them a follow on social media. Uh, this week, they've added some cool uh, 1994 USA windbreakers to their inventory, uh, so check those out while they're still there. I'm not sure they're going to stick around very long. Uh, and they still do have some Revolution merch available. So make sure you check that out as well. When you find something that you like, please use promo code REVSRECAP, all one word, for 15% off your order. Uh, that's GalassoKits.com with promo code REVSRECAP for 15% off. The code and links to the website are in our show notes. Um, all right, my key takeaway here, I want to get to this real quick, uh, but I, I think we got, we, we've gone a long time. We talked about the back line, but we didn't really talk about the, the outside backs too much. Uh, and I want to talk about Brandon Bay and Dewan Jones, who are having very, very good seasons. We've talked about Mafla, uh, you know, his injury problems. We haven't seen much of him, but we haven't missed him necessarily because Dewan Jones has played very well. And Brandon Bay, for what seems like his entire career, has locked down that right back spot. I think he's pretty much started every single game at right back uh, since Bruce Arena took over. Uh, you know, the, the press gave this back line a lot of problems in the first 20, 25 minutes. Uh, the pass accuracy was terrible. So, you know, I'm going to list off these stats and the pass accuracy is going to really stick out as the big issue. But once you get past that and, and you know, both these guys turned in pretty good performances last night. Uh, Dewan Jones had an assist, three key passes, 84 touches. He was nine for 12 on duels, two for three on dribbles, three for three on tackles, three clearances, uh, drew two fouls, three interceptions, nine recoveries, was not dispossessed once. Uh, he had an 8.6 foot mob rating. Uh, and Dewan Jones is really impressed as both an attacking left back, his left foot, you know, with that assist to Gustavo Bo, he's really improved uh, with his service uh, in, in the attacking areas this year, I, I found. And he's also impressed a lot defensively. You know, three for three on tackles. I, I don't think we would have seen that in Juan Jones' rookie year uh, where tackling and, and defensive um, – you know, raw defensive talent wasn't necessarily his strong suit. So Dewan Jones with a really, really good game on both ends of the field yesterday. Brandon by also, he scores the goal, obviously 53% pass success, not very good at all, uh, but he had four key passes. He was four for six on crosses. All four of those crosses were very dangerous. Uh, five for eight on duels, four clearances, dispossessed once, uh, missed a tackle, but four for five on aerials, one, three interceptions, six recoveries, 8.3 foot mob rating. Uh, and, and after the game, Andrew Farrell called Brandon by one of the best outside backs in the league, uh, which I, I, I don't know the league well enough to evaluate every single right back, uh, but he's certainly improving as a player. And I don't think there's any real question at that right back spot. I know coming into the season, a lot of people thought maybe move Buchanan back. Maybe you have a more attacking, better attacking option, uh, but it seems like Brandon by has really improved his attacking abilities, uh, especially with the crossing. He had, you know, as I mentioned, four crosses, all of them were dangerous. Uh, he had the cross to Adam Buxa, which hit off the crossbar. Uh, he had the cross to Gustavo Bo that was called off sides. 
Uh, in the 80th minute, he had a cross that uh, Gustavo Bo tried volleying. He kind of scuffs it. That led to the Teal Bunbury shot that went wide. Uh, and then he had another cross that I'm currently forgetting, and I don't remember. Oh, it was the uh, uh, cross uh, where he kind of kicks it uh, to Teal Bunbury, who is right in front of goal, uh, and he's kind of stuffed point blank. Uh, where Brandon Bay kind of just kicks it uh, from the end line. He saves it from going out of bounds. That created a chance. So, uh, yeah, really, really solid game, I thought, from both these guys. You look at the pass accuracy. It didn't look great. They had some trouble early in the game, but they adjusted. And they finished the game strong. And I, I think that they were, you know, especially with this diamond formation, uh, they, they both showed that they have attacking ability that came out pretty clutch yesterday. Yeah, I thought they were both really good. And, and I... I'll be honest, I was focusing more on Dewan Jones uh, because at the beginning of the season, uh, I thought for sure that we were going to see Mafla because you really want a a left-footed player on the left side. It kind of changes the way that you play. And I think that Dewan Jones over the course of this season has been so good with his left foot. He's he had a couple assists with his left foot um, to the point that you kind of forget that he's right-footed sometimes. At the beginning of the year, he would come inside and kind of play as, as a uh, – a left back that would cut on the inside. And now we see him more willing to go to the byline and try to cross either in the air or on the ground. Uh, so huge kudos to him for developing um, that left foot because it makes the revolution much more dangerous. Uh, Brandon Bayer, I think, is just a solid. Like, he just does what he does. And, and I really haven't had any questions about him playing that right back spot. Uh, some people have talked about should Tejon Buchanan be playing that right back spot. And I think it's really hard to, to imagine um, – Brandon by not playing there because he's very good in the air. We saw that where he scored a, a header, uh, the equalizing goal. Uh, but he also is keeping the ball out of the box by, by using his head. So those aerial duels are really important. Pretty good as far as his, his defensive work goes uh, in, in you know, tackling situations. And, of course, he can get forward and, and provide those especially early balls on the ground that lead to some really good opportunities. Uh, so you know, it, it was great that Andrew Farrell provided some love to, to Brandon by. Uh, but I also just think that right now, Dewan Jones has impressed me the most on that back line uh, because he's shown so much improvement at that left back spot that I feel comfortable with him playing there going forward. And I don't necessarily think I would say that a year ago. Yeah, I, I, I agree with all that. And, I, you know, the one thing I will say is I, I have trouble evaluating Brandon by in this game because he did a lot of really good things um, defensively, his crossing. Um, but 53% passing accuracy uh, is is terrible um, under any circumstances. And it wasn't a good passing night for the Revs in general, but that's, you know, that's not really an acceptable passing percentage in any scenario. Um, and I should point out that Tommy McNamara also had 52% passing. So uh, both of them uh, kind of embarrassingly low, but you know, overall in the season, I think, you know, Dewan Jones and Brandon by have made a lot of strides and gotten a lot better um, to the point where, you know, you feel very comfortable with them being your everyday starter. And, you know, looking at this revolution roster, a year ago, I think a lot of the way you evaluated it was colored by the fact the revolution had done such a poor job at making players get better over the years that when you looked at Dewan Jones and Brandon by, you saw who they were then and maybe had trouble seeing, you know, who they were capable of becoming because for so much over the years, again, you know, whether it was under heaps under, under nickel, even in the later years, you didn't see much development from guys and of course under, under Friedel as well. You didn't see much development from, from these players, these young players. And we've seen tremendous development, especially from those two under Bruce arena um, to the point where you are very comfortable with them playing day in, day out. 
Um, and where you, you are seeing improvement every single game, uh, every single season. Um, so I think the Revolution can feel very comfortable with that. And, and with that said, I, I think that, you know, when we're talking about concerns, the res, I, I do think that the depth behind them is still a bit bit worrying. And, you know, you make excuses for, for Mafla and how he's you know cheaper than, than Bootner. Uh, but the injury proponents of Mafla was certainly predictable uh, because that's nothing new. And we talked about the nickname glass legs, um, but they're, you know, the revs are very fortunate that by and Jones have developed the way they have um, and made themselves the everyday starter because the, the pieces behind them, um, you know, maybe aren't as good or aren't as healthy as you would hope. Yeah, and you know, I, I want to kind of go over to Brandon Bai real quick because we did get a question on Discord from Cameron who says, "Does Bai does Bai's goal overshadow how poor he was on the day?" Uh, and and you know, I, I was going to kind of bring up that I'm sure some people are going to say that Brandon Bai had a poor game, uh, like you mentioned, Sean. Um, and some people are going to look at some other stats and say, "Oh, he had a pretty good game." So it, it's a bit of a mixed bag. Um, and, and as I say, I, I, to me, I thought Brandon Bai was having a good game before the goal. So I, I disagree with that assessment, but it sounds like Sean, you you kind of agreed that Brandon By was a little bit off in that game. Uh, so I just wanted to throw that out there that we did get that question from from Cameron uh, that Brandon By had a not so so great game. I I thought he had a good game in just about every aspect except his passing, but that is a, an important part of the game. And when you're you know when one out of every two of your passes is going to the other team. Um, you're really hurting hurting your team overall. And New York, the way they play, causes that to happen. But, you know, there's a difference between, you know, 66% passing accuracy because a team is pressing you and 50% passing accuracy. Um, and, it, you know, can it can, you know, cause your team a lot of problems. He, you know, he again, he scored a great goal. Um, he added a lot. His, crosses, his crossing ability has gotten a lot better. He, he was, you know, four of his six crosses connected with teammates. Um, defensively, I thought he did overall did a good job. But, uh, I can't I can't ignore the fact that you know, he finished the match with 53 percent passing accuracy. And, and you know, I, I do have in my notes here too. the 72nd minute. He's trying to work the ball out of the back and he kind of gets pinned back and he basically tries booting it long. And he ends up just kicking it kind of the center, the midfield and center of the field right to a Red Bulls player and, and kind of turn the ball over. And I think the Red Bulls took a lot of distance shots and they, they really didn't make the most of their opportunities. I, I really think they could have gone a little bit harder at the back line uh, and, and tried to work the ball in a little bit better. Um, especially considering the makeshift uh, center back pairing in this game. Uh, so they, they did a good job pressing, but I don't think they made it the, the best out of those um, incomplete passes and those turnovers. Um, and so I, I don't think they were punished too much. So maybe if they were able to punish uh, the revolution on one of those plays, maybe we'd be, uh, maybe I would be uh, a little harsher on Brandon by in this game, but yeah, I, I think there are some valid points that this wasn't the best game for, for Brandon by overall. Um, I forget what you talked about before. The depth of the the outside backs. Yeah, uh, Mafla, you know, we obviously knew his injury history. I, I think if he gets healthy, maybe, you know, as I say, if, getting to, to Seth's point, Dewan Jones has proven to me that he is a starting quality left back. So Mafla doesn't necessarily hurt you, quote unquote. Uh, and you can just limit his minutes and play him as a backup. But yeah, I mean, the depth that outside back right now is... I, I guess it's just AJ De La Garza and Christian Mafla. I, I don't think they're going to move Buchanan back there, although he had a pretty good cold cup as an attacking wing back. Um, yeah, the, maybe that is an area they address. I don't think they do, uh, but yeah, not 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 a good sign that beyond Dewan Jones and Brandon By. Kind of speaking to you know, if we have an injury to Andrew Farrell, if we have an injury to Brandon By or Dewan Jones, this is going to be a uh, not as dangerous team if one of those two is out. Greg, I just want to jump in real quick and say that um, about halfway through the game, I said something about how positive uh, 
Jones and, and Bai had been uh, because they're working the ball forward. And someone said, well, they're coughing up the ball a lot. And that was certainly true, especially in the first half. But I think everyone, I mean, at, at one point on my Twitter feed, I, I posted the passing percentages and they were just a bit abysmal, like everyone, like every single player um, in the midfield and the back line, they just couldn't work that ball forward. And I think early in the game, the strategy was really to try to, to use Buxa to try to break the press, like try to get that ball forward to use Buxa and, and Bo and then break it that way. And it wasn't finding a lot of success. So as the game went on, they tried to find those out, like the passing got better, especially in the midfield, but those outside backs started to become um, a really great outlet. And, and, you know, if you look at who scored.com, um, Brandon Bay ended up with four key passes equal to Carlos Heel on the team. Juwan Jones ended up with three key passes. So I think that there isn't certainly the argument about how those passes, uh, especially early in the game, were so poor and, and it was you know, very difficult to, for them to move the ball up the field. But that's just what happens when you play the Red Bulls. They press you. They foul you. They make it a really ugly game to look at. Um, and like you said, Greg, I, I totally agree with you and, and Sean, this idea that if those passes get punished more, um, and, you know, all of a sudden the Reds are down by more goals and they're not able to dig themselves out. You definitely look at that back line, especially uh, by and, and potentially Jones and say that passing just wasn't good enough and it led to too many turnovers. Um, but I think that th that's just kind of the game that you're going to be in for with the Red Bulls. And it's not just them. It was a lot of players like Arnard Tristison, like I said earlier, I think he had a pretty poor night because um, he had a hard time with that physical pressing game of the Red Bulls. Although he obviously kind of, you know, makes things a little bit better with that great ball to, to Dewan Jones on the flank. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree with everything you said there. And, uh, you know, another thing, too, that I noticed and was that it seemed like, I don't know if this was because they shifted the diamond. I don't think so, because they've played in the diamond a little bit, um, you know, for the past few games. But especially in the first half, there were a lot of... Um, I'll call it miscommunication where, you know, Tommy McNamara is kind of kind of lead Brandon by down the wing, but Brandon by isn't running and they kind of look at each other like, Oh, I thought you were making the run. I mean, there were a few plays like that where, you know, I think Tristan chipped the, or maybe it was books that chipped the ball into the box and no one's running for it. it. It just seemed like a really weird off night. And I, so I don't know if it was the Red Bulls press. I don't know if it was just kind of a weird off night where the team wasn't in sync with each other. Although that's not much of an excuse. I, you know, at this point in the season, you should be in sync with each other. Um, I don't think that's a long-term problem, and I'm going to kind of assume that this was just, you know, maybe against teams that get up and press you more, it's going to be more of an issue. Uh, but, you know, if the Red Bulls come into New England, if, if it's a home game, uh, or maybe if it's not the Red Bulls, maybe if it's someone who doesn't press uh, or, or, you know, doesn't press as well the Red, as the Red Bulls did last night, um, I, I don't think you're going to see passing accuracies like we did last night across the board. As you said, Seth, um, it was a real issue in the first half, and I don't know what changed. I don't know if the Red Bulls just kind of ran out of energy over time. Uh, maybe they needed a Red Bull. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> something happened where the Revs, once they broke them and once they got into the attacking areas, Dewan Jones and Bryn Bai did really, really well. Yeah, the, the only the only thing I'll say on that one is, you know, with, with Brandon Bai, um, and maybe it's a little bit harsh because, you know, it's not, there are other players close to him, but with, with Brandon Bai, it's not a one-game thing. 
Um, if you look at Revolution field players and you know whether or not you just use a minute qualifier or not, he's he's dead last in passing accuracy for the Revs, and it's been pretty consistent throughout his career. And again, you know, you can live with it when he's doing everything else well. And I think in this game, he was doing everything else well, except the passing was even a step worse. Um, but it, it is an area that I think consistently you'd like to see him do better. And, you know, Seth makes a good point. The Revs did have to try a lot of long balls to, to Buxa. Um, But Bai actually didn't try them. And he had six long balls in this game, you know, where Andrew Farrell had 15. I think Jones had eight. Um, so... You know, again, this is a really difficult game for me to rate Brandon Bayon because I think he did everything else very well. Um, but, you know, you know, again, granted that no one on the Revs was passing particularly well, he just kind of took it to another level along with McNamara, who, you know, as Greg pointed out, didn't necessarily seem on the same page. The two of them, um, the passing was just kind of another level of bad. Absolutely. And, and while we're talking about Brandon Bayon, we did get another question. And Sean, I need your expert analysis on this. Uh, but apparently I have the road broadcast, so I didn't get to hear this uh, expert analysis here. But apparently on the Revs broadcast, uh, Feldman and Davies were talking about Brandon Bay and how he might get a call up into the January camp for the United States men's national team. What are your uh, Matthew uh, Korzak asks us, uh, what are your guys' thoughts on Brandon Bay's season so far? Also with the United States men's national team depth at the wingback positions, do you think Brandon will get a shot? And Sean, you, you kind of gave your thoughts on Brandon Bay and overall this season. Well, well actually, you kind of talked about his pass accuracy, but... Um, how about you give us your, your thoughts on Brandon Bay overall this season? I, I've given my thoughts on uh, how I, I've seen improvement from him, but give us your thoughts on Brandon Bay's season and if it's going to earn a uh, U.S. national team call-up. Look, I think Brandon Bay has done really well this year, and I think on the whole he's proven himself to be an MLS caliber starter, and the revolution can be very comfortable with him um, at right back. Now, on the Revs broadcast, Brad Feldman suggested that Brandon Bay might get called up to the January camp, and it, Maybe, maybe he could. I, I don't think he will, but it wouldn't completely shock me. Um, but beyond that, I, I think he's so far down the U.S. men's national team depth chart that it would be close to impossible, um, no matter how much he improves, for him to move his way up and actually you know, be in contention for anything close to a spot on the U.S. 23 for you know, World Cup qualifiers or the World Cup um, or even you know, the Gold Cup roster. Again, January, they take a big, you know, big team, big roster of you know, mostly U.S.-based players. There's a shot at that. But, um, you know, <laughs> there's been a few people that have recently posted U.S. men's national team 11s made up solely of right backs. And, you know, there is 11 guys that you can put out there. Um, that I don't think anyone would say Brandon Bay is better than. So, you know, looking at that and looking how far he is down the depth chart, you know, the Revs can be very happy with what they have in Brandon Bay, but um, I don't think he's someone that I look at as having any legitimate shot of, you know, breaking into the U.S. men's national team beyond, you know, a random January call-up where he might be the, the fourth right back from MLS on that January roster. Yeah, I think Sean nailed it there. Uh, one thing I'll just throw out there, I think that, Dewan Jones might be closer to a call up at left back yes. uh, than Brandon Bay is, is closer to, uh, to right back just because it's a more of a position of need and he's gotten better. Uh, I don't know if either one gets a call up, but I, I might put Dewan Jones higher as a possibility of getting a, a call up to the national team. And I think that uh, David Goss is actually someone who's who said that in the past as well. Yeah, I, I struggle to go five deep, you know, at left back with the U.S. where you can go 15 deep. With the U.S. at right back, so it's not it's not a knock in saying that Dewan Jones is necessarily playing better than Brandon Bay. It's just I think that right back, in my mind, is probably the deepest position on the U.S. right now. Um, and left back is historically and still 
not particularly deep. So it it's you know if, if Brandon Bay was playing at the level he's playing at at a different position, um, you know you you might see more of a path for him to to someday make that step. But you know I just can't see it at right back. And Dewan Jones, I mean, his speed separates him from everyone else. I mean, if the United States wanted a fast left back or a outside back that can provide you speed in the final minutes, that's, you know, that's Dewan Jones. That's not Brandon By. So, yeah, I, I agree with that statement. Not to say that Dewan Jones is knocking on the United States men's national team door or anything like that. But, but uh, you know, I think that certainly is, you know, he'll, he'll, he would get consideration before Brandon By for that reason that he plays on the left side. Um. So moving on real quick, this is going to be a long one today. Uh, we got we got some more questions here, but a couple of things I wanted to touch on. Uh, Brad Knight conceded twice yesterday. Um, David Sibillion said on Twitter uh, he wanted to give a weekly shout out shout out to Brad Knight. Uh, he hanged tough get, after giving up two goals. Can't win that game if Brad doesn't compose himself. A real pro. Um, Brad Knighton's tenure with the Revs is probably coming to a close as I assume Matt Turner is going to be back for the game Wednesday at Nashville. The final Gold Cup game is tonight in about an hour. Uh, so after that Mexico game, Matt Turner is going to return. Sean, uh, give me your thoughts on Brad Knighton and how he did filling in in Matt Turner's absence. Good enough. Um, I think he had his, you know, the first game was was really bad. Um, I think last night like i said against the red bulls if matt turner's in goal i could i could see matt turner saving one or two of those um but you know at the end of the day he you know he played five games they won four of them and it was the last four um so certainly he did good enough for the revolution uh but you know it's it's always going to be difficult to replace matt turner the best goalkeeper in the league um but is my confidence in brad knight and such now that you know if matt turner went down for the playoffs i still think the revs are a contender it's not um so you know Again, he's a veteran MLS goalkeeper that can fill in for a few games, um, and he, you know, he did he did well enough. But I, I didn't see something in this that all of a sudden makes you think that you know something happens to Matt Turner that he can fill in for a long stretch and the Revolution will be just as good, or that if you know if Matt Turner goes overseas, that Brad Knighton is the long term solution. Um, good backup and did well enough. Yeah, I agree with what Sean said. Um, I think that it'll be interesting to see what happens with Brad Knighton after this season. I'd be fine with him to to continue to be a part of the squad because he is a, a good guy. Um, he is someone that that really cares about this team. Uh, his his you know tributes to Paul Mariner have been really touching with the way he's talked about him. He's worn the black armband. Um, you know, I think this club really matters for for Brad Knight. And I could also see him possibly moving um, and, and heading down South and, and being uh, with, he was from Charlotte, correct? Or around that area. Right. Yeah. So I could see him possibly going down there and being a backup keeper. Um, you know, Darius Barnes is a part of that organization. Uh, so you could maybe want to go back home and finish up his career. Uh, but he's, he's not a starter. Um, he's not someone that I, I have necessarily a ton of confidence in when it comes to the playoffs. He just goes out there and does a, a, a job of a veteran. Like he, he made some good saves throughout this. Um, there were some good moments, no doubt, but you can obviously see that there are some weaknesses with him. Uh, so Matt Turner, when he comes back, he's, he's going to reclaim that spot um, and he'll, he'll be there going forward. I think one thing that's interesting is to think about Edwards um, the junior, his role on this team, because he is a little bit of a veteran guy and someone that Richie Williams knows pretty well. So for him to come in, I thought it was maybe just because they knew Matt Turner was gone. So you create automatic competition between Brad Knight and, and, and him um, and, and Brad Knight ended up winning the, the, the spot. Uh, but I do wonder if maybe they think Brad Knight is going to be gone and Edwards becomes the 
the secondary um, goalkeeper for this team because you kind of need a – it's nice to have a veteran presence that can step in any time like Brad Knight has been provided. So I think it'll be interesting to watch what happens with Edwards Jr. going forward because we haven't really seen much of him besides uh, Revs too. But maybe he's just here for that one season, didn't win the secondary job, and he'll end up somewhere else after this year. Uh, it's worth remembering too. He battled knee injury, knee injury uh, in preseason. So uh, at this point, you expect him to be over that knee injury, but maybe that impacted his ability to win the job from Brad Knighton. But uh, and I'll also say, I mean, after that first game in Toronto, which you know, I the second and third goals, I, I don't think you can place too much blame on Brad Knighton. Uh, but that first goal, you certainly can blame Brad Knighton for all of it. Um, you know, the, the fact that it didn't go to Edwards, I, I feel like that was a bit of an indictment on Edwards that they still preferred Knighton. But to Bruce Arena and the coaching staff's credit. Uh, that decision, I think, paid off because I, I don't think there were any goals that Brad Knighton conceded that you wouldn't expect an average goalkeeper to make. I mean, certainly Matt Turner, I think, would have saved that first goal uh, against Red Bulls New York. Um, but overall, I, I think Brad Knighton, as you say, Sean, did good enough. Uh, and, and it's exactly what you expected, uh, minus that uh, first goal to Toronto FC. I, I, I thought he did pretty well overall filling in. Uh, one more thing before we get to the final listener questions. Uh, the diamond formation, you know, who, who knows how much longer we're going to do this uh, with – Tejan Buchanan coming back. Seth, uh, you know, as our tactics expert, uh, give me your thoughts on the diamond formation. Do we still like it? Uh, what do you think? Do you think that we're going to keep it? Or do you think we revert back to that 4-2-3-1? Yeah, I think it's going to be difficult because um, I think this formation works really well because of how much attention Adam Buxa demands. Um, I think that he is so good at holding – and I think these are things that we all notice – during his first year, he's so good at holding the ball up. He's so good at aerial duels. He's actually pretty good with his feet too. Um, his, his finishing is not there. And as a result, when you're a, a, a number nine, you're having a lot of pressure put on you to put the ball into the back of the net. Um, so when you're playing with a sole striker, it's hard to put Buxa out there because you're potentially moving Bo to the bench. And you see that Gustavo Bo is just so good at shooting. The reverse situation of putting uh, Gustavo Bow out there is that he isn't necessarily someone who holds up the ball or win aerial duels. His game is more popping up in the right spots, being so tricky with his movement. Um, and, and, you know, his, his we've seen it twice now in the last two weeks, his ability to, to hit those long-range shots that are automatically contenders for goal of the week, goal of the year. They end up in sports center. Um, so when you play that that four two three one, it becomes hard because you're probably looking at Bo versus Buxa. And if you play this diamond formation, you're able to put both guys out there and you're able to to allow them to play to their strengths. Like, you know, uh, Buxa can be a guy that battles and presses and, and, you know, draws defenders to him that allows for um, heel and also his, his, his strike partner, Bo, to find those spaces more. Like, it's absolutely amazing to me, especially right now, that Bo is finding as much space as he is, you know, that he is not being tracked. But if you really think about it, the reason why he's not being tracked and the reason why he's able to find those spaces is because um, Buxa in particular is, is someone who commands a lot of attention, especially if you're kicking that ball out wide to Dewan Jones or to Brandon By, you're going to try to double up and you're trying to put a lot of people on Adam Buxa because you know that's the intended target. And that goal that was called offside um, by Bo, like he was, he was wide open. He was wide open twice on the back post. And the reason why is because so much attention is put onto, um, onto Buxa and that goal that he ends up scoring. If you kind of see it, everyone's pushing towards the goal mouth because they think that 
you know, Dewan Jones is going to hit a, a cross in the air. They have to be really careful of Buxa. So as a result, Gustavo Bo's like, no, nope, cool. You guys keep going. I'm going to stay here. Hit it to me. I'll score the goal. So I think that when you are able to play both of those individuals out there, it allows them to play to their strengths a little bit more, and it creates a pretty dynamic attack. And I think it also helps out the defense because you have that coverage there. Uh, like I mentioned before, uh, Polster's been amazing. Like, I think he should be an all-star. Um, I think Massiel has been very good as well. And I think Tristison's looked better in that role. And if you look at his defensive numbers, they're actually been pretty impressive. His ability to, to win tackles and have inter, uh, interceptions. Um, I think that that helps out the back line and they're not going to give up quite as many goals. Like you mentioned, the problem is Kajon Buchanan. Like this guy has been so good for the revolution. Uh, he's been so good for Canada. It's hard to defend him. And I, and I mentioned this a few times now that like, I thought that once you had more game tape on this person, defenders would figure out how to stop him or they wouldn't fall for his tricks as much. And it's not happening. Like the way to defend Tejon Buchanan is to foul him or to put two people on him. And we saw that in international games that you can kind of mute him a little bit by putting two people on him. Otherwise, if he's going at you in space, he's going to beat you. So I think that that becomes difficult because you want him in space as opposed to playing more narrow. Um, the other thing I think is interesting is that we saw at times with Canada, the full national team, Tejon Buchanan playing as uh, a reserve striker, as a, uh, a withdrawn striker. So that could be an option, you know, that he had a really good game against Mexico playing a little bit higher up the field. I think that this is something that Bruce Arena has to figure out. And um, we've seen all throughout this year, Bruce Arena cares more about how you finish the year than how you start the year. And if, you know, tinkering leads to dropping a few points here and there, but to figure it out at the end of the year and do well in the playoffs, that's what Bruce Arena's MO is. Um, so I don't have an answer for you. I think that the, the 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 diamond has worked really well because those strikers have the chemistry that we didn't see at the beginning of the season. Obviously, Carlos Heel in the middle as opposed to the right-hand side um, also helps in that situation because he's getting on the ball a little bit more, definitely getting more touches. Uh, but I think that they're – I think that you want to get Tejon Buchanan onto the field because it creates um, a lot of problems for defenders. And I'm not sure if you can put him – in that diamond formation because it's going to require him to be more defensive, uh, more sharp with his passing, and it doesn't necessarily play to his strengths. So this is, yep, this is the big question. Uh, this is something that Bruce Arena has to figure out because probably someone has to come off the bench, right? I mean, that's what we were talking about at the beginning of the season. Is it going to be one of the DPs? Is it going to be Tejon Buchanan? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more with Seth again. My, you know, my thought is if you're going to stick with the diamond, and I, my guess is that we're going to see a lot of both down the stretch because the Revolution do need to rotate. Their schedule continues to be busy, really busy. There's a lot of midweek games, um, and you know, you can use your depth a lot better if you can feel flexible to use both because they have players, you know, such as Buchanan and such as Boateng who. Um, you know, do really well when you're playing with wingers and then you have guys that, you know, do better in this diamond formation. But, you know, hypothetically, if the if Bruce Arena was convinced the diamond was the way to go, I think he needs to sell Tejan Buchanan right now because I think his value is just going to go down. Uh, because I, I think if you try to put him in a role that you're putting Tristison in, I think you're going to really expose his weaknesses. And, you know, that's not where Tejan Buchanan belongs. That's not where you get value from him. And if you're trying to force him into a diamond, I, I don't think you should keep him. I think you should sell him now and, and profit on that value because the value is just going to go down. 
Um, so I don't think that's when, what's going to happen, but you know, that's just my thought. If you're sticking with the diamond, Buchanan should not stay on this roster. You should sell him now when his value is what it is now, because he's not going to thrive in a diamond formation. And, you know, Seth brings up that we saw him play a little bit of a withdrawn forward role with, with Canada. And I think that is something that you could do with him. But again, I don't think you're maximizing his skill set there. Um, and I, I, you know, you're still creating the same problem of one of, of, of you know, Buxa or, or Bo is getting benched at that point. Um, so I, I think there's going to be a lot of rotation going forward. Um, but I think, you know, like Seth said, the big problem is what do you do with Tejan Buchanan if you're playing a diamond? Because I, I don't think that suits his skill set. Um, you know, do you, and again, we talked about why Brandon Baez kind of won that right back spot. So are you going to put him at right back? Because that's probably his best role in a diamond. Um, and I don't think you're going to do that. And, and and this does get back to the conversation earlier about, about Boateng too, is that Boateng had a really good game against, I think it was Toronto coming off the bench and then really hasn't played since because they switched to this diamond formation. And he's another guy that, you know, doesn't really give you much in a diamond unless you're putting him at, at fullback and, and, you know, making your fullback attack a lot. Um, so it's, it's, it's an interesting problem to have, but it is, you know, it's a good problem to have, but it is also a problem that Bruce Arena needs to solve. Um, and if he decides the best thing for the revolution is a four, four, two diamond in every game, I, I think that holding on to Buchanan and waiting to sell him in the off season is a mistake because you're not going to help this value by, you know, putting him either on the bench or putting him in a position that he's not comfortable in. Um, and you know, you look at, at Tristan, he's a different player than Buchanan. Tristan was struggling on the wing and looked better in this diamond formation. And maybe he's a guy that's better off centrally. I don't think any of us watched a lot of him before he came to the revs. Um, we assumed he was going to be a good winger. He looks better centrally. Buchanan's a very different player. And just because it worked for, for Tristan moving to the center, I, I don't think you can assume it works for Buchanan. And I would go out on a limb and say, I don't think it would work for Buchanan. The only thing I just want to throw in there is, is that, um, I wouldn't be opposed to, to selling, um, Tejan Buchanan, but because like you said, there's a possibility that his stock will fall a little bit. Um, especially if you try to sell him during that winter transfer window, but maybe teams aren't looking quite as much, uh, or maybe they have their money tied up somewhere. That said, I think you, if you sell him right now, it has to be for a really good sum. We've seen numbers around like $5 million to me that that's, that's not enough for Tejan. If you're going to sell him right now, I think it has to be seven eight million dollars honestly i'd be looking at like ten million dollars as something that you're willing to to say okay to solely because even if he's coming off the bench uh bench he gives you a better chance at winning an mls cup but i just think that this this team needs to win an mls cup that bruce arena needs to win an mls cup so i don't think they um i know there, there's just kind of two arguments like him bruce arena saying i'm not willing to sell this year maybe that's him trying to drive the price up a little bit but I honestly think there's a lot of reality to that because he wants to win. And uh, Tejo Buchanan, I mean, I think that he hasn't really done much to to show that he's a flash in the pan. It, it just seems like he's getting better and better and that spotlight's getting uh, bigger and bigger. So I, I agree with you, Sean, that like you, I, I'm not totally against the idea of selling him, but it would have to be a pretty big amount of money uh, because I think the Revs' chance of winning a, a MLS Cup this year uh, go down if he is sold. I would say the Revs can avoid it by selling him and getting a loan back through the end of the season, which is what I believe happened with Brendan Aronson last year. Uh, I think that that type of move like that makes sense. So in, I guess in theory, you know, under the those circumstances, you wouldn't be too concerned about his trade value. But I think the overall point of you have to play to Buchanan's strengths stands and you don't want to push him centrally or even put him at, at right back. Because, I, you know, the way he's been playing at the Gold Cup, it's been on a five-man back line. 
Um, and I, I think putting him right. in a four-man back line might not be the best idea. Maybe maybe if you're going ultra-attacking against a team at home. Um, but I, I don't know if you want to replace Brandon By with the season he's having um, for, you know, an out-of-position Buchanan. Uh, so agree with everything you said there. Um, and also, by the way, uh, there is a tweet here from Derek Ray uh, saying that uh, it sounds like Buchanan will take at least €4 million Euro and he likely will not be available until winter given uh, the, the Rebs' quest for the title, uh, which I think we kind of already assumed would happen. I don't think Bruce Arena was, you know, there's any chance of him selling while they're in first place. Uh, but that that's kind of the most recent number here at €4 million, Euro, which is probably, what, $5 million, I think. I'd have to look up the conversion rate on that. Um, but anyway, regardless, it's kind of weird to talk about Adam Buchs, uh, heading to the bench, uh, considering he's kind of been picking it up lately. Uh, and you know, he's, you know, had a header off the bar. Um, he had that two, two more posts yesterday. And I think a lot of people criticize him for that, but you know, off the crossbar, it was a nice fingertip save. Um, you know, that, that post, he kind of created that chance himself. Uh, and then of course he had the nice game winner there. Uh, you know, the revs don't get three points without Adam Buchs, intercepting that, uh, Carlos Hill pass uh we're gonna call it a pass so carlos hill gets that credit for an assist but um did kind of remind me of manny ramirez cutting off johnny damon's throw where buxa gets in the way of a carlos hill shot and finishes it off himself uh but you know adam buxa really came in clutch yesterday and I, I thought he had another performance he's kind of been catching his stride still doesn't finish every chance uh and still doesn't really create chances on his own and i think that is the issue you want a chance creator in tejan buchanan uh, who can create chances and can finish chances as opposed to Adam Buxa, who needs service and doesn't always have the best finish uh, to go along with it. So um, let's get into some listener questions here. Uh, while we're on the topic, Cleggy says, how much do you think Tejan should go for? Uh, Sean, I'll start with you. What do you think the final bid price for Tejan is going to be? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of agree with Seth. I think if you're going to sell him now, it's got to be something like, you know, $7 million plus. Um, you know, so I, I think, you know, Again, Bruce Arena has got to make the decision on how valuable Tejan is going to be for the rest of this year. Um, you know, and if they're going to go back to that four or five one, and Tejan's going to get a chance to excel as a winger, that price might go up. Um, but right now, I, I think kind of seven million is the the minimum where you think about selling him. Yeah, I, I'm similar numbers. I think that uh, I think that even um, if you sell him in January, I think you can try to push for for seven plus. Um, I think that he's a talent that a lot of people want want to try to bring on board. Yeah, and by the way, uh, four million euros is four point seven five million dollars, and I think we're going to get above that. I know Taylor Twelman said uh, that they should sell him at a bid of six million dollars, uh, and I, I think that's you know what you got to go for. I mean, you, you're saying seven. I think previously I said eight. I, I think my number has kind of changed in and out, but I think if you get a bit of eight. Um, that that's a pretty sufficient number. I think this is going to be a bidding war through the end of the season. I don't think the Revolution are going to be actively looking to pursue uh, a sale. And I think this Gold Cup performance from Tejan uh, has, you know, just done wonders for his value. So I, I'm certain that, you know, the Revs will be fielding calls and I'm sure they'll come to an agreement eventually. But the market is really going to settle itself. Uh, you know, he, he's, you know, it's like the real estate market right now where I think Tejan Buchanan is going to have multiple buyers going after him and it's just going to go to the highest bidder and it's just going to keep going up and up and up, I think over the next few weeks. So um, if I were to guess, uh, I'll put the final bid price around 6.5 million. Uh, what do I think he should go for? If I was the revs, I'd look for about an $8 million sale price. Um, but I'm not, not totally sure it's there um, based on what it seems like. It seems like the national pundits believe 6 million is going to be where it kind of settles. Um, 
Uh, James Downing has a question here about uh, Gustavo Bo. Do we know what's going on with Gustavo Bo's contract situation? I'd guess uh, his inspired play is at least partially due to motivation to get a big fat deal or any deal for that matter. Uh, Seth, uh, any thoughts on Gustavo Bo's contract situation? Who is in, apparently, for those of our listeners who don't know, Gustavo Bo is apparently in a contract year, uh, which is a bit of a concern. He had another phenomenal goal last night. Might be back to back goal of the week winner here, Gustavo Bo. We haven't even mentioned that insane goal from him yesterday uh he's playing out of his mind nine goals in his last 10 games uh seth uh, what are your thoughts on gustavo bow and his contract situation yeah bruce arena and gustavo bow have both come out and said that they uh have not been talking about a contract yet um that was a couple weeks ago that that question was asked to, to the two different individuals um honestly i'm not that surprised to hear that answer because um you focus on the soccer. You don't want to get that into the media unless you're really trying to create some sort of drama. I think Gustavo Bo, uh, he's, he said that he's happy here. Um, he likes playing here. He wouldn't mind continuing his career here. Uh, I remember Carlos Hill saying similar things uh, at the end of last year, saying, like, I'm happy here. I like it here. I don't know what my future is. Um, that's kind of a, a classic thing unless you're really trying to negotiate in public uh, to try because you're unhappy with your situation. And I don't think that's the case with uh, Gustavo Bo, who's you know obviously on a pretty good contract. I would imagine that Gustavo Bo um, signs for another two years and then probably goes back to Argentina to finish his career. Um, he has a really deep connection with with Rousing, and uh, he frequently wears their jersey and talk about um, their results. So I think it might be. Um, something that he thinks about to go back and finish his career in his native country. That said, I could also see him finishing his career here uh, because, you know, once you come here, obviously you might want to, to, to continue to live in the United States. Uh, but I imagine in, unless, unless they're really concerned about how he fits in with the team and as he gets older and is he the right guy um, for the job? Uh, because I do think that there are times where, he he's a little bit of a luxury player because he isn't a pure number nine. Um, he sometimes can not be someone who works as hard defensively. Although I think in recent weeks we saw him work much harder to d- defensively than we've seen in the past. Um, so maybe they say, Hey, he doesn't really fit in the formation. Let's go and use this money somewhere else. But I think it'd be kind of foolish to do that because you have a, a goal scorer who connects really well with uh heel and just kind of thinking about, you know, iconic duos in this league you know you'd have you know obafemi martins and uh clint dempsey you know for the revolution twelman and ralston i mean i think we're on the verge of thinking about um bowen and heel as being legendary duos for the revolution and obviously you can kind of throw books in there as well uh so I, I think that a deal probably gets done um if it doesn't get done i think it's because he wants to go back to argentina or because they, they decided to use that money elsewhere on a player that they think can kind of offer more and fit into the system more. But I just think it would be, I think that'd be tough to do when the fan base knows how good of a scorer he is. He's challenging for the golden boot. I think that you, you get some sort of deal done and you try, I think someone brought up uh, 2014. I think Sean brought up 2014. I think that you try to take this season, no matter what happens, you take the good and then you add on it to make next year even better uh, in 2014, the Revs didn't do that, and they saw that sharp decline that eventually led to two that to heaps being fired, the failed tenure to Friedel. I think you want to see some sustained success, so you kind of have to. I, I think you should re-sign Bo with that in mind. Yeah, just just two really quick thoughts on this, and and one is that you know typically in soccer you can sign a pre-contract with another team starting six months 
before your contract is up. So, you know, it's potential that other teams are starting to talk to Gustavo Bo and saying your contract's up in December within six months. Um, so I, I don't know. That that makes me a little bit concerned that the Revolution wouldn't be talking to him uh, yet. And we don't know what's actually going on behind the scenes. But um, the other the other quick thought is that, you know, he turns 32 before next season and Gustavo Bo might want, you know, three or four years on his contract and the Revs might not want to give him that as a designated player because he's great now. I think he'll be great next season. Um, will he be great in, in 2023 when he's 34 and worthy of DP contract? Maybe not. Um, so those are just kind of the two thoughts in my mind. And, and I'm not sure how this one plays out. Now, it's going to be interesting to see, especially uh, that we have Carlos Hill uh, with his new contract. I'm sure Bo is going to want Maybe not exactly equal money, but I believe Heal is the report was three point three three million. I think he, it's a three or ten million dollar deal. Um, so is Bo unjustified asking for three million? Uh, I'm not so sure. I think Bo is going to want to come out here and, and get a raise. Um, and and yeah, the age is a bit of a factor. And you, you also bring the fact that he's not a true number nine. He's you know kind of an odd uh, position player. You know, it, it does bring up a lot of interesting questions. And you also got to wonder if he wants to return to South America. Because uh, he certainly, you know, uh, tweets about it and posts a lot about it. Um, you, you wonder if, you know, he, he just wants to return back to South America. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see. Either way, I mean, Gustavo Bo is playing, you know, arguably his best uh, during his Revs career right now. So um, I'd imagine if you're Bruce Reed on the Revolution, if you do want to lock him down, and if you are willing to give him a raise, you want to do that sooner rather than later. Uh, Randy LH says, "Who do we? Uh, why do we seem to start games so poorly? What can we be doing differently in the first 20 minutes? Uh, and then Charles Maddox kind of piling on that one. Uh, Throughout the week, players like Teal and McNamara both said that they're not happy with the quality of play, especially at the beginning of games. At this point, should we be more worried about results since this is a result-based ba- result business? Uh, or are we at a point where being picky is okay? Uh, so, Sean, uh, what are your thoughts about starting the beginning of games a little bit rusty? I think in some of it, the Revs have started okay and then missed a chance and then been made to pay for it. Um, if, if anything, I almost think the, the finishing needs to be better early in games uh, because I, I think in a lot of these, and, and even like the second half of the Revs game this week, they they started pretty well and then missed a chance. And then, you know, the Red Bulls had a good spell of play. Um, so it's it's a little bit of, you know, making the finishing better early in games and, and not putting yourself in a position where you fall behind. It's, it's a little bit concerning, but a, again, the Revs keep winning. Um, you know, if they don't give up some sloppy defensive goals that they've given up because uh, guys like De La Garza are playing their first game at center back or their first start at center back, um, you know, maybe you're less worried about it. But I, I'm not I'm not hugely concerned, but it's, it's something that I think you're always kind of keeping an eye on with the revs um, is that they get off to slow starts. Uh, but I think when everyone's back and healthy and Turner's out there and Kessler's out there, um, it's going to be less of a concern. And then again, I, you know, the finishing early has has left a little bit to be desired at times. Agree with Sean. I think that if you start finishing those opportunities early on, the game looks a little bit different. Um, I think I'll give a Bruce Arena answer and say that if I knew and the team knew what was wrong, you'd probably fix it. And I think that um, some of the chances that have gone into the back of the net, it, they're kind of they're kind of surprising. I mean, yesterday that first shot, I think again, you can always say, hey, you could do, you could win the ball here. Uh, you could put a little bit more pressure on that ball so they don't get a shot off. But that was just a, a pretty magical shot. Like I turned to my wife and said, "You see that? Like it, that just came out of you know he he beats Polster, he finds his space, he gets a great shot off. Uh, maybe some maybe Matt Turner because he's Matt Turner um, gets on that ball and makes that save. Uh, but I think there's a little bit of the tipping of the the cap there, and and that's just 
um, that's just a good opportunity. So you do see that sometimes. And sometimes it's the Rebs making the mistakes, or sometimes you just see a little moment of magic from the opponent, and then you're you're in a hole. It, it, what's interesting, too, is I was listening to someone talk about this last week, and one person was saying, I, I wish I remembered the stat, but someone was like, you know, they start out games slow or whatever, and someone was like, they lead the league in goals in the first 30 minutes or something something to that effect, and it was something I didn't know about. Uh, and so, you know, I, I, I think at some points we're being selective and we're looking for uh, the cracks, uh, but really, I mean, in getting to the second part of this question here uh, uh, from Charles Maddox here, but, you know, this is a results-based business. And I think on, on the whole, you know, no team is going to be Bayern Munich and dominate every single game in MLS. Uh, so you're going to have games where, you know, the Red Bulls catch the Revs uh, and they're going to have tough times breaking the press. Or you're going to go into Nashville and you're not going to be able to break them down. Um, you know, you're, you're going to have a um, some games where you're, you're just going to struggle a little bit. So... Um, I don't, I'm not concerned about this too much. And, and yeah, they're going to have some games that they're, they're a little bit rusty, but um, overall, I'm, I'm not too concerned about it. Uh, one more question here from Matt, uh, Matthew Korzak. Polster is a true leader of the team. He does the dirty work in the midfield, and I saw him calming everyone down in the celebration after the second goal today. What do you guys think of Polster and how he's been playing as of late and his role on the team? Uh, and I'll start this one. You guys can jump in if you have any comments on this, but I think Matt Polster should be an all-star. You said that earlier, Seth. Uh, Matt Polster is the unsung hero of this team. Uh, I know that Matt Doyle gave him uh, some credit and said that he should you know, he, he's one of the best American defensive midfielders in MLS right now. And, you know, he, he not necessarily that he should earn a, a, a national team call up, but he deserves consideration. Uh, I mean, arguably arena's best acquisition outside of Bo, definitely dollar for dollar, the best acquisition um, overall in the arena tenure uh, does the hard work uh, overall in the season. He's 61% dual win percentage, 88.6 pass completion rate among MLS players with over a thousand minutes played. That's 10th in the league. Um, and only 15% of those passes are backward passes. 32% are forward, 31 to the left, uh, 22% to the right. So, I mean, he holds the ball. He doesn't really turn it over that much. He wins balls uh, in the midfield uh, and, and really kind of, you know, forces some really, really good counterattacks. Um, he's really been a piece that this team needed uh, prior to his arrival. And we don't talk about it enough, but uh, he absolutely deserves a lot of praise. And I think he should get an all-star nod. I don't see why not. He's one of the most critical players uh, in the central field for the best team in the league. So, um, yeah, uh, nothing but praise for Matt Polster. I'm a big Matt Polster guy. Love Matt Polster. Um, Sean, anything to add on that one? No, I completely agree. I just got to quickly give the the counter stat to the stat you gave earlier. And that's the Revolution have scored 11 goals in the first 30 minutes of matches, but eight of those come between minute 15 and 30, uh, where they've conceded seven goals between minutes one and 15, which is the second worst in the league. So the Revs are really bad in the first 15 minutes stats-wise and really good in the second 15 minutes stats-wise. So it's just kind of random. Yeah, they absolutely suck in the first 15 minutes. Though we'll we'll send that stat to Bruce, and I'm sure he will. I'll actually, you know what, Seth? Why don't you ask Bruce about that uh, at the next press conference? I'm sure Bruce will give you a very nice answer because he loves you. Um, Seth, any any thoughts on Matt Polster before we move on? No, he's been awesome. I, uh, just kind of you mentioned his passing percentage, but he led the team with his passing percentage yesterday, 83. Um, percent In a team where there's one, two, three, four players who were were. Um, below 60% with their passing accuracy uh, to end the game with 83% um, on 41 passes, which is towards the top of the, the team. And a pass attempts is pretty impressive. 
And that does it uh, for today. Sorry, this is a long one. We're going to be around 140. This is by far our longest podcast in a little bit. But I'm going to blame Seth for bringing up Brad Friedel. That was uh, that, that really shook me to my core and, and got me on a, a bit of a rage rant there. Uh, but let's get into some final thoughts. Uh, Seth, did you have some final thoughts that you want to talk about today? Yeah, I just want to bring up um, the the fund that was created by the players. Um, it was an idea from the crafts. Uh, to give a twenty thousand uh, dollars bi monthly to an organization that's dedicated to equity and ending success, uh, systemic racism, uh, which I think is a really great policy. And I was able to jump on the call and and hear um, Earl Edwards Jr. talk about this. And first of all, just such an intelligent and smart guy, and and um, the way he he he's passionate about this cause. I just uh, was really enlightening to me. Uh, I, I posted some stuff on uh, Twitter and hopefully I'll get around to writing an article. But I think that um, the words that he put out, I think that you should just read what he said. I don't think there's any analysis that needs to be put out there. Uh, I think that he summarized it and put it so well that to put it in an article, um, you know, might might dilute some of the things that he was saying. But basically, he was, he believes that this was a, a really positive thing by the Kraft family. He hopes that other people uh, join suit and, and do something similar. Um, he said that he's tried to do similar things with other organizations and it hasn't worked out. So to have the Kraft family come to him and say, hey, what do you think of this idea uh, meant a lot to, to him as someone who's a co-founder of the Black Players for Change. Um, so, you know, they the, the big thing here is that the money has to go to to uh, affecting people on the ground. Like it's going to really affect real people in the community and make our community better as we push towards equity and and uh, trying to end systemic racism. And I really loved one of the answers he gave about talking about race in the locker room. And he says, it's getting better. Like we, we can actually talk about these things and have uncomfortable conversations. And he said that, um, he, he likes that, that instead of something that's, that's being ignored, it's okay to be messy and make mistakes. And I think that as we try to um, make this a more fair and equitable place, you have to be willing to have those conversations and make mistakes. So I left that, that press conference um, with a lot of uh, ideas in my mind and a lot of uh, powerful images in my mind. Uh, so I really wanted to highlight that and say, uh, you know, ch- check out that work, um, you know, Check out what, what Earl Edward Jr. is saying because he really is a really intelligent uh, and and uh, motivating individual. Yeah, and I was on that that call too, and I was very impressed with uh, Earl Edwards and uh, the depth he, he talked about. And uh, I just kind of want to second everything you said there, Seth. So if you, you didn't see uh, what Edward said or, or if you've not read about uh, the Crafts the donation uh, for this fund, please look it up. Uh, it's a really noble cause, and it's really encouraging to see the revolution um, – you know, leading the charge on this one uh, and still being uh, active in this uh, in these causes. Uh, so uh, I want to, on a, on a much lighter note, uh, I want to give a quick shout out to Scott Caldwell. The Human Victory Cigar uh, came in late last night. Uh, he's now five for five in save opportunities, uh, zero goals against uh, with Scott Caldwell on the field. Just a lockdown closer, the best closer in Major League Soccer right now, the best closer in New England. Sorry, Matt Barnes. So I just wanted to give a big shout out to Scott Caldwell uh, doing what he does best 
uh, and watching that game run down, basically subbing on Scott Caldwell is the equivalent of taking a knee uh, in Major League Soccer. I also wanted to give a quick shout out, some news and notes. Uh, Brian Scales, the former Academy Director for the New England Revolution, hired as a youth coach uh, for Charlotte FC. Uh, I think that's what they're called, right? Charlotte FC? It's not Charlotte United or something stupid like that. Something very generic. But the Charlotte MLS team, uh, that Darius Barnes connection coming in big there. Uh, so uh, Brian Scales headed down there. Uh, that news came out this week as well. Uh, before we go, guys, uh, give us your uh, Twitter handle. Seth, I'll start with you. Where can people find you on social media? Yeah, uh, my social media is at Sethman31. Uh, I write for the Ben Musket. And, and I'm just a quick little plug. Guys, uh, if you enjoy coverage, go and retweet it and uh, comment on it. It goes a long way. I think there's a lot of people that work really hard and they don't get paid at all. And I'm not just talking about me. I mean, I'm talking about guys in this this podcast. Um, you know, go go review them and retweet them and and uh, go check out you know Tom Quinlan's podcast and go check out the work from Sam Minton. And there's so many people that that do this uh, for free as a labor of love. And if you want more coverage. Uh, you have to show that it's something that's meaningful and relevant. And that's where other other people start to cover it more and more. They they start to see those hits and those engagement. So um, go out after you're listening to this and leave a review for this podcast. Go to the Bent Musket and comment on a, uh, a an article. Like it, it actually does mean something, and it does show that people care about the revolution. Um, and that leads to other outlets, you know, taking notice and and trying to increase their coverage. Yeah, and, and I'll go beyond that, and I will say we've gotten comments and DMs at the end of a season. People will reach out that I didn't even know listen or haven't commented all year, and they'll thank us for you know what we did for the year. And um, you know, I, I gotta say, without those comments, I don't know if I'd still be doing it. Uh, you know, that is the reward for doing this. So um, you know, I know I'm talking about me and not necessarily you, but I, I think the Bent Musket and, and us are in the same. Uh, kind of boat here where you know we're you know we're not getting rich from this so if you enjoy it if you like our coverage give us a retweet tell your friends um give us a follow on twitter um you know it it really helps out and you know it as i say we really appreciate it more than you guys know so uh also seth uh big thank you for welcoming me to the bent musket i joined the bent musket as a contributor a part-time contributor Uh, i probably won't be doing as much stuff as Seth or Sam Minton or uh, the guys over there, but I will be chipping in from time to time. So thank you, Seth. I really appreciate the warm, warm welcome. Uh, Sean, did you uh, have anything you want to add? No, you, you can follow me on Twitter at Sean L. Donahue, but I, you know, again, I agree with everything you and Seth said about, you know, a lot of people are covering this team for, for no money. So it's always appreciated to, to see the feedback and, you know, hear your comments, positive and negative, because that's, that's why we do it. Yeah, the, the people that cover the team year-round, you know, they, they do it as, as, as a labor of love. So we really do appreciate it uh, anytime we get um, positive feedback or shares or, or whatnot. And, you know, helping us grow, that's how you build the coverage of the team. Uh, you know, I, I think the legacy media is always going to cover the top four. So if you want to grow a coverage of the team, uh, you got to support the guys that are there week in and week out. So uh, you can speaking on that note, you can follow us on Twitter at Revolution Recap. We also have a Revolution Recap Instagram page and a Facebook page. We're still trying to get to 100 followers on Instagram. So please follow us there if you do not already. And also check out our sponsor, Galasso Kits. Uh, please use our promo codes REVSRECAP for 15% off your order if you find something you like, and you will if you check them out. Uh, and make sure you follow them at Galasso Kits on Twitter and also check out their Instagram page. They always have they post their new stuff. Uh, you're you're going to want to follow them on social media to, to not miss anything when it comes up. Uh, that does it for this week. We are probably off for the midweek Greg, game. I Greg, Greg, 
Just, I have just a quick last thought about Brad Friedel. Don't you have to go, Seth? Don't you have to go? <laughs> no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, sorry. <laughs> I think Seth has to go because the Gold Cup is coming on in a second. He has to make a phone call. So thank you, Seth. I'm going to drop you off this call. I actually can't. I learned I can boot you, so I'm going to boot you. I'll see you later, Seth. Thank you for joining us. Uh, that does it for this week. We're off for the midweek game, uh, but we'll be back. <laughs> we'll be back uh, for the Philadelphia game next week. Uh, and we potentially might have a guest on soon. Maybe. Uh, so make sure you are subscribed on iTunes or wherever you are listening uh, to your podcasts. Uh, and until then, thank you everyone for listening and go Rebs.